Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Root and Roots Show on blogtalkradio.com. Now here's your host, Greg Rashid, bringing you the best in music, information, and history. And good evening, everyone. This is Greg Rashid. Happy to be back here again with another edition of the Root and Roots Show. Heard every Saturday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and also Friday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we're going to get, we're going to have a great conversation, as we always do on the show. But I'm just happy our guest is already on the line. But I have to play the song first to set the uh, mood of the show. And we're going to be talking about the movie Selma, and we're going to be talking about the state of black films and entertainment and all. But we're going to start off with the. Oscar-nominated song from the movie Selma, Glory. This is uh, Common, who plays Reverend James Devil in the movie, and also uh, John Legend. So let's hear Glory on the Root and Root Show. One day, when the glory comes, it will be ours, it will be ours. Oh, one day, when the war is won, the heavens, no man, no weapon, formed against, yes, glory is destined, everyday women and men become legends, sins that go against our skin become blessings, the movement is a rhythm to us, freedom is like religion to us, justice is juxtaposition in us, justice for all just ain't specific enough, one son died, the spirit is revisiting us, true and living, living in us, resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus That's why we walked through Ferguson with our hands up When it goes down, we woman and man up They say stay down and we stand up Shots, we on the ground, the camera panned up King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up One day, when the glory comes It will be out, it will be When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure, oh, no. Glory, glory, oh, glory, glory, now the war.
slave, man, woman, and child. Even Jesus got his crown in front of a crowd. They marched with the torch, we gon' run with it now. Never look back, we done gone hundreds of miles. From dark roads, heroes, to become a hero. Facing the league of justice, his power was the people. Enemy is lethal, a king became regal. Saw the face of Jim Crow under a ball ego. The biggest weapon. It's to stay peaceful, we sing Our music is the cuts that we bleed through Somewhere in the dream we had an epiphany Now we right the wrongs in history No one can win the war individually It takes the wisdom of the elders and young people's energy Welcome to the story we call victory The coming of the Lord, my eyes have seen the glory One day, when the glory comes It will be ours entertainment and 
we've talked about minstrel shows on there, a little bit of everything, blackface, mm-hmm. things that people really don't want to bring up anymore about history. So I want to have you on again just to talk about that book, if that's fine. Oh, yes, that would be excellent. Thank you. All right, but we're going to get into today the movie Selma. You, besides you knowing about the movie, you have seen the movie. Yes, <laughs> yes, I have. Okay, I want to make sure now because the other is professor says she she knows her stuff. So I want to make sure, but you're also an expert on just the history and the culture of what happened down there in Selma prior to the movie being made, and also, what is your take on the movie? First of all, well, whenever I see a movie, because I'm a historian and I also do film, I have to look at it through various lenses. So first I look at it simply as an African-American woman going to enjoy a film, and then the other side of me looks at it as a historian and academic. So I'm going to give you the first perspective, because uh, my mother always criticizes how harsh I am on movies. So I, I try to uh, – I enjoy the movie First Impression as someone who um, is happy that this story is being told. And I enjoy the cinematography, the, the acting um, – the African-American female who is was a director, the characters that are portrayed. I, I did enjoy just watching the movie and what emotions that the movie brought out of me. As a historian, I had mixed feelings towards the movie. Uh, it does bring to light a story that needs to be told. And the positive is that people are now talking about Selma and realize that that is an important part of the civil rights movement and that it's more than just one speech in Washington, D.C. of I Have a Dream, which people like to limit King to that. And so it broadens what people think of as civil rights in the movement and how complex it was and how complex Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was. Uh, And it it highlights certain people that most um, sort of average Americans, average people just don't know these names. Diane Natch, James Farmer. People don't use these names normally when they think of that period. It's just King. And so that's a good thing because I did notice in the movie theater people were taking out their phone because they would mention a name and they'll take it out and they'll sort of, I don't know if they're Wikipedian, but they'll type in the name to say, oh, who is that? Who is that? And so it did. And also, I have to say, too, um, Dr. Thompson, it was um, Viola Lee Jackson, that role in the movie, I could not. Here during the movie, who, what name they were saying initially, and also there are a couple of other characters you just didn't hear the name properly. It was kind of mumbled. Yes, it, and, and, so and I, that was some of the problems I had with the film. Number one, it drops you in the middle of a very long process, and and, and I understand films can't give you all of the background story. Right. However, this film didn't give much of a background story. It just sort of hinted to a lot of things. And if you don't know the story, you could have actually been a little confused. You know, it, it, it doesn't give you a background of SNCC, but it shows that there's this conflict here. And it doesn't show the complexity of SNCC, the fact that SNCC has been there for some time. And even though it shows people like Diane Nash and it shows people like uh, Amelia Borton, it doesn't show how important and how influential they were even before King shows up and all sort of the background of what's taking place. And so and, and basically the the role of Diane Nash in the movie, if she has two lines, yes, it's I have, amazing. I have, it's, uh, 
problem with Diane Ness because she's such a great figure. She's such an influential oh, yeah. figure, and she was there before. And honestly, it seems like she was sort of minimized to the, the only thing that sort of came out was like, does she have a crush on this other character? And it may it, it really minimized her role in it. And right. I have to say, even though it does highlight Amelia Boynton, it minimizes her role. So even though women do come out, the important role that they played isn't really portrayed, and it's sort of taken away from it. So I don't know if it was a benefit or a negative to actually have them in it if you're going to sort of just breeze by them and make them as casual bystanders who are just there in meetings but not necessarily offering key important uh, information. And so that, that was problematic. And also someone who was not mentioned but in the film, Bayard Rustin. Oh, my, I mean, he's one of the most important figures. Um, And so I can tell which character was Bayard Rustin, but they didn't highlight him. He's so important in the civil rights movement. He taught King so much about nonviolent resistance. He taught King. And you're talking about about an organizer from the 40s, Bayard Rustin. I mean, he is legendary. And there's another name who wasn't, there's a bunch of names that weren't in it, but Jane, you know, you mentioned James Farmer, but James Farmer. Yes. James Farmer was around there. Mm-hmm. No yeah, mention in people. The, the manner that he right. was portrayed really bothered me throughout the film. Um, Snick was portrayed to me as uh, young young people who were easily angered, wanted something, didn't want King there. The work that Snick did, what Snick did, they laid the foundation way before King came. I think they could have been, they were seen as sort of contentious within their own ranks and then contentious against uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. And so other than John Lewis, who kind of shows as this middle ground, and it seems like he has to leave and completely go against uh, SNCC, but not showing the sort of complicated relationship that SNCC and SCLC had. They had a very complicated relationship. And they had some reasons, very good reasons, to be upset with SCLC. (laughs) Oh, yeah. If you know your history, definitely, yeah. And listeners, (laughs) you can join in the conversation at 424-675-8315. I'm talking with Dr. Katrina D. Thompson, Associate Professor in the Department of History and African American Studies at the St. Louis University and an expert on just African American history, gender stereotypes, and just a little bit of everything. So go on, continue, uh, Dr. Thompson. Well, I mean, and that was... That was sort of the. I mean, it's hard to do a film on an event, and there's other films like this that that are sort of historical dramas. Uh, the first film I think of is Lincoln, and when you do a film on one particular event, one uh, sort of snapshot of history, it's it's problematic, automatically. You know that that is not going to give so much of the background. But I did. And I got that, I got real uh, issues. I, I brought it up a couple of years ago on the show about Lincoln because I have real issues with no. Frederick Douglass. No oh, I have that. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yes, oh, I have yeah. a and, and the serious fa- problem. And, and it's a sad thing, uh, Dr. Thompson, that the movie that has Frederick Douglass and Harry Tubman in it, the same year that Lincoln comes out, is what? Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Killer? Yeah. <laughs> and that makes yeah, no sense. That, that was very... <laughs> that, that, that is very interesting. Um, and it's sad that's why Selma is an important film because it does try to mention more names that's normally recognized. So it's doing a better right. job than previous films. And you have to, and, and you know, the one thing that 
the director, uh, Ava DuVernay, continually says is, I'm not a historian. I'm not a historian. And so I understand that. Uh, However, when you put a piece of work out there, it's put out there to be criticized and to be thought of in in this way. And so it it opens a lot of, you know, you have people like Jimmy Jackson, who's often forgotten in this story, who's really comes out. His story comes out. There are some errors in it, but people know his name. And that's a really good thing. And so I, I like that, but there, there are some characters that I wondered, why did you choose that route? Um, when you could have easily mentioned Bayard Russell, when you could have easily shown the complexity of Diane Nash, it could have been a little bit more of that, um, which would have added a little bit more meat to the story. I, I agree with you. and Because uh, I had to have second thoughts. <clears throat> I came out of the movie, like you, and says, I mean, I, I loved it, I still do, but then I started thinking as a historian myself, some things that were missing, some things that someone who, because frankly, as you know, a lot of people will not go and look at Eyes on the Prize or look at a documentary or read a book. They depend on a movie to give them their history. And this is slightly flawed history for a lot of folks who don't know anything. And, and, you know, I've, I've been battling with that idea for some time, and not only this movie but also 12 Years a Slave and other films of, that are bringing to light and starting a conversation on the topic. But how do I feel about the fact that some of this conversation is based on historical inaccuracies? Yeah, and, that, and, that's the uh, you know, And so I have really, you know, I'm happy that this conversation is, is, is starting, and I'm hoping that this opens the door for people who normally wouldn't do a little research, a little sort of uh, Google or Yahoo search, they're now doing that. And maybe they'll learn even more and go beyond just simply the film. And so if it opens the door for people to mention Selma, to realize that the uh, civil rights movement is a lot more complex, for people to reflect on race issues that are present in American society today and yesterday, that's a very good thing. If people want to use it simply as a textbook to teach students and then not go any further, that is a dangerous thing. It's extremely dangerous. Uh, You might as well uh, teach Abraham Lincoln vampire killer as a textbook, you know, something (laughs) for history. But... um, you know, yesterday we did a show on uh, a book called Living Color by Dr. Uh, Nina Jablonski, and we got into this whole, you know, what you're talking about. And also I played one of the rare speeches that you don't hear, and that is Where Do We Go From Here mm-hmm. by Dr. Martin Luther King, which you rarely hear. And it does, you know, bother me. It's bothered me forever that, you know, that I have a dream speech is like the speech that everyone knows, but that's the speech that, Basically, Dr. King would use as a kind of a crutch. I mean, he used it a lot of places, but he just happened to have the big stage there to say, you know, and people caught on to it. So I just hope, you know, I hope like with this movie and also with speeches that people will go and look at other sources, look at the war in Vietnam speech, look at the where did we go from here speech, and also as far as with this movie, go and look at Eyes on the Prize, go and look at Mm -hmm. Citizen King, just Look at look at a documentary on what's the thing with Stokely Carmichael or the black um, the Black Power mixtape something oh, yes, like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, you know that look. was also one of the problems with the film uh, because he, he they couldn't use Martin Luther King Dr. Martin Luther King's actual speeches. Right. Uh, and so and and I knew it, it was it was basically because they had a very small budget. I think it was a twenty million dollar budget. They couldn't afford to use uh, to use his speeches. 
And that even though she wrote very good speeches to represent what King was saying, King's words are so powerful. And to actually hear his other speeches, um, you know, Been to the Mountaintop, speech, there's so many speeches that are excellent besides I Have a Dream that I, I, I hope other people are going and listening to his speeches because they're powerful and they're complex. And, um, and so that, that did, to me, take away some of the film uh, from the film because his actual words weren't there. But I did notice throughout conversation that was in the film um, little pieces of the speech, sort of rewording, if you're very right. familiar with King's speeches, uh, sort of changing around. And so they did a very good job with what they had. But that's one of the problems is that black films are not getting the budgets and getting the funding to actually make it into these sort of grand films that can use the speeches, that can sort of have these high um, productions. And, and that is one of the problems that we have, because this is film is actually considered an independent film. It's an indie film due to the very small budget, small for Hollywood, of course, but the small budget that it had. And I hadn't looked at it that way, but it is an independent film. It's, you know, yes, it's, yes. Now it's occurring to me, it is. It is not, a, it is not Lincoln. It's not no. that. It's not Gandhi. You know, it's not it's not those films as far as this huge the, budget. Go ahead. The interesting part is that black directors and writers that make sort of what may be considered black films don't don't get the money in most times to make these films. However, if a white director or writer is interested in making uh, a black film based on a black experience, they seem to get these sort of big budgets. And it's just sort of the biases that continue to exist in Hollywood. Yeah, just and hopefully, you know. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Hopefully, the success of of this film and Twelve Years of Slave shows that um, black films by black directors and writers can be blockbusters. They can make a large sum of money, and and they should be. They're worth being invested in. Right, and I know that, um, and we've talked about this on the show before, and I want you to comment about this. But a lot of folks in Hollywood. You know, the the money folks will tell you, like, oh, we can't have a black person in the league because we got to sell it on the uh, in the European market. we got to sell it in Asia. You know, so they don't, you know, these movies don't make any money. I just want you to comment about that. You know, I have, it reminds me, 12 Years a Slave is an example. Um, in, and I want to say Italy, but I have to, I'll have to check. They, they had, you know, you have the, the posters of the film. And in Italy, they had this, poster and the main figure in the u.s it was um the main character uh who plays solomon northope was on the figure but in italy brad pitt was on the cover as if, as if he was uh the star oh, really? of the film yes and so and the 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 reason behind that is that people will see a film about brad pitt because he's already a star and he's white and so at least it will bring them to the theaters and then they'll realize that brad pitt has about 10 minutes and so right. this I don't I, – what I find very interesting is the money and the international influence and audience of a black genre of music such as hip-hop, that people are buying the, this, they are, um, they're wearing the clothing, they're repeating it. People – I've been in Paris where they don't speak any English except for the rap songs that they know. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. However, you think that the same people who – are buying uh, African-American genre of music throughout the world are not going to see African-Americans on screen. And I, I, I don't know the numbers on it, but I think it's problematic and I think it's questionable. And I, 
because it doesn't sort of lay out in every other genre. It doesn't lay out in music. So why is it lay out in film? And so and, I question know, that. I do. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And it's funny, you mentioned Paris as far as, you know, I remember when I went over there, and Public Enemy was there. It was 1990. And everywhere you go, you would see something about hip-hop. When I went to Tokyo way back when, it was all jazz. Everywhere you would go down the street and you would hear jazz or you would hear back then the Gap Band, Phyllis Hyman. It was amazing. You know, it was just coming out of all these stores. But like you said, you would think that that market would love to see a movie without Brad Pitt as the on the front of the um, of the poster, but it's you know, it's still there still has to be work that has to be done as far as getting changes with that. And, and I wonder where the work ha- sort of starts. I wonder if the work actually starts more in Hollywood in their perception than what the people are actually doing. Because I, I don't know. They, they tell us that um, the rest of the world doesn't want to see black films. And I don't think we should automatically just take that because they served it to us. Right. What proof do they have? Because in other cases, we don't see that. And so I, it really makes me question Hollywood has this sort of a staple of what they think goes, and that's it. And it hasn't changed since Hollywood was Hollywood. That's right. It's the same, you know, the same storylines, no matter what. It could be a solid movie in the 20s. It could be a movie in the 21st century. But the basic storylines from Hollywood are the same. It mm-hmm. does, you know, they really don't change. And to bring a storyline like Selma in, well, even 12 Years a Slave is something that just throws it, throw, it throws something different into the Hollywood perception. And you wonder um, if this will be the start. And I want to ask you, do you think this will be the start of other movies about the civil rights movement on the big screen, not movies on HBO or something, but on the big screen? Or is this going to be the only one? Like, it looks like 12 Years a Slave may be the only one. I don't know. I, I'm hopeful that that this will open the door. However, I, I'm not sure because what sort of historically in media, what I've noticed, for example, um, when Roots came out, and Roots was on television, and it seems like you know everyone was watching Roots, and it, it had the highest ratings on television. And soon after that, other networks and movies try to sort of sort of put out some slave films, thinking, okay, now this is the time America or the world is ready to see these films. They didn't right. do very well, and they did not last. And so if you look at trends, I don't know if this is sort of going to be a, a moment where, where the door is going to be open. I'm not really sure. I, I, I want to be optimistic, but I'm normally not. <laughs> I'm normally not when it comes to media. But I do think that it, this film at least is having a very good impact. Twelve years is having a very good impact, and twelve years com- coming out soon after Django was good timing because it needed to correct oh. the errors of Django. But, right, um, oh, definitely. Although now so I, I, you mentioned earlier about as far as twelve years, and I've had a couple of historians on the show like yourself talk about that movie. And they, in fact, I, I, I was talking to one face to face and. She was just rolling her eyes. And a lot of folks will say that 12 years, they're glad it was out, but on the other hand, it didn't depict the slavery that they know that was going on in the plantations. You know, it's interesting. 
12 years, the story of Solomon Northup, that was the second time a movie has come out on Solomon Northup. There was one in the 80s, and I believe it was uh, Gordon Park. And Avery Brooks. Who released it. Yes. And so yeah, Avery Brooks did it. Avery Brooks. I always, I find it interesting that this particular story is told and not so someone like Frederick Douglass or um, Harriet right. Jacobs or, you know, uh, Harriet Tubman. There's so many, Sojourner Truth, there's so many great stories. But I think it's because Solomon Northrop to the public is a quote-unquote, what they would say, like an American story, sort of the pull yourself up by the bootstraps in a very odd way. Right. Because it's someone that was free, enslaving, and free again. And so it has this sort of happy ending, and, and it makes people feel good that this injustice was right. Um, I had several problems with the film, Solomon Northrop, but if you look at the previous films on slavery, from in the previous films that slightly mentioned favor, especially the ones who were very popular, such as Gone with the Wind, those films were oh. very dangerous. Gone with the so Wind I, is beyond dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but people oh, love that film. People, oh, yeah. I mean, undergrads, teenagers who, not from a generation, they they it's it's like they love that film. Um, and there's so many films like it. So. I do. I have mixed feelings about Twelve Years a Slave. Similarly, I have mixed feelings with uh, Selma. I don't have as many problems with Selma as I do Twelve Years a Slave. And so, but there, it's it's a historical fiction. You know, right. it's, it's not it's not a documentary. It's not something that's depicting the actual story. But what I do hope that it does is cause people to go and get the autobiography of uh, Selma Nothro, to go and get Eyes on the Prize. And, and right. I hope it starts a conversation. It's, I think it's better to have those movies than to not. And I can't yes, say maybe. that about every film. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah, like Mississippi. Well, we've had discussions about Mississippi burning on this show, too. And that's mm-hmm. shows like, you know, movies like that, Long Walk to, what is that, Long Walk to Freedom, the Sissy Spacek movie. Mm-hmm. And these movies that, um, well, I have a, a friend who wrote a book. You might know, um, Matthew uh, Huey, who wrote the book, uh, The White Savior uh, Film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we've had discussions and, you know, and on I, this program. I, I call that in my class the Great White Hope, which is, if you know, oh, yeah. you're boxing. Um, and that, oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. That, we've that talked about very... Jack Johnson on here, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that, that is and, and I, you know, common. it's funny, Dr. Thompson, because I found myself, as I was looking at Selma, saying, when is the White Savior going to appear? I kept waiting for some something to happen. Mhm. And you don't you don't have that. You don't you have you don't have a white savior. You have uh, people who fought to get something and achieve it. Right. And there is and, but and you do have the white savior in so many films or um there's some white person who's needed to open a door for you to get to where you're going. Right. Um, and 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 so at the end, it sort of helps. It whites feel better. That's something that you can feel better about it because you say, well, not all people were doing this. Look, this person helped. Um, right. I think the one thing good about Selma is it shows the complexity of white society and those in power. And it doesn't show. So I know there's been a lot of controversy on uh, LBJ, and when I saw the film, I expected it to be a lot worse on Johnson. I was like, oh, that's not bad at all. Even though there's a lot more controversy, because it showed number one he's a politician, 
and it showed the environment of the time period. So I think that the good thing about Selma is that you didn't have whites as simply villains. You had them as a little bit more complex. But you right. also were honest with the racism that existed at that time. And so you I know, liked the way yeah. she, she balanced that. Yeah, I, I did too. I really did. And from what I've read about Johnson, I mean, it was close to what he was. I mean, like you're saying, that balance. I mean, he he was a Southerner. He did use the N-word a lot. Mm-hmm. And he did, not you know, but he was for civil rights. It was just this whole counterbalance of what he, you know, what he was doing in his life. Now, I want to ask you, what do you know, Dr. Thompson, what do you think about the fact that uh, this movie, Selma, only got two awards from Hollywood? And the act, nobody acting at all got anything. What do you, I mean, what's, I want you to comment on that. It's not surprising. It is very, very common. And um, Spike Lee actually did an interview recently saying that about – you know, every 10 years, African Americans are going to get, sort of get recognized and then get let go. Like there's a system that says, okay, well, 12 years of slave got it, so we can't give Selma because we've already checked off that box right. for the African American population. Yeah. So, so I'm not surprised. And for me, and even I, I, I teach on film and, and study on film, I normally care very little about what they have to say, um, simply because. I don't know how they decide on these films. And two, it's obviously through the history of the award that there's a bias against African Americans. Because, you know, look at the ones who have won awards, especially early on. And um, now, every couple of years, they allow African Americans to win some awards. Other than that, it, it's shunned. But I think that people. And the funny are thing, I, I, was talk, I was talking about this with a friend of mine a couple of years ago that as far as. African-American women who have won the Oscars, I said that they have been either maids, hookers, or out-and-out crazy folks. There's never been a straight row. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. No, I just said there's never been a straight role. And my friend was saying, well, what about Whoopi Goldberg? I said, in Ghost? She's crazy as she can be. And I just listed everyone. You know, Holly Berry. Mm-hmm. You know, Spencer, who wanted for um, the help. Um, you know, just going on the, you know, Hattie McDaniels. Just go down the line as far as the women who have won the award. And I couldn't think of anyone, and I had to Google it and all that, and there was no one there who actually had a role that was like what you would hope a Diane Nash would be, or even Coretta Scott King. To win their award. Yes, I mean the the Academy Awards is problematic to, to say the least. I mean you have Hattie McDaniel yeah. as the first female. What is it, 1939? And um, I sometimes forget Whoopi Goldberg. I think it was in Ghost, um, right? Who won? And, and then um, Jennifer Hudson uh, was the, mo- the most recent. You have Holly Berry. So you do have some African American women who won. I think the problem isn't necessarily. Only what who who African Americans who won the award, but it's the how often they didn't give the award to these outstanding performances, uh, right? And 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 people who have been sort of I was not happy when Denzel Washington won for Training Day, 
when he's had so many roles that were outstanding and that you chose right. this particular one to represent the body of his work. I, I didn't agree with that. Um, I didn't either. So, but I don't think the those who uh, pick the Academy Awards, I don't think it's it's a diverse group. I don't I don't think they are actually, you know, I think every once in a while they decide we'll give it to the African American, but they're not looking at the complexity of complexity of so many black performers, and they're not getting their due with the Academy Awards. And so, I, I, you know, and it's it's you know, and it's really a shame that it continues because, um, you know, you have studied um, film since the turn of the century, and it's it's a shame that you know, and I have done this too, and it's just a shame that the patterns just still exist, mm-hmm. that nothing has changed. And I know this is probably in your book, and I'm looking forward to interviewing you about the book that you wrote, uh, Ring Shall uh, Wheel About. But is the I want you to comp, uh, is the same? Do you see the same minstrel, the Gone with the Wind type figures in movies right now? And I already know your answer, but I want the <laughs> listeners to hear your answer. I know it. Well, the, the simple answer, yes. They in not. I, I, what I see is the lack of complexity of black life. What I see is the lack of a story of African-American life from the perspective of African-Americans, even though, say, for example, I, I have um, an article out that talks about um, the help, and I'm going to mess up on my own title, but I believe it says, uh, Taking Care of White Babies, That's What I Do, America's Obsession with the Mammy. And so essentially what I've noticed for example, The Help, which is also a movie that uh, a female won Academy Award, um, and the popularity of it, and excellent actresses and actors in it. it I mean, it would, Octavia, I mean, they were really good, Octavia Spencer, and you can't help but respect them, but the character I have seen as a historian for, <laughs> since slavery, first, you know, in yeah. books and in short stories, then on to the theater stage and minstrel, then on to um, film and even in radio, and so you do have these similarities that take place, in, and it's, it seems like many in American society have this nostalgia with this past that did not exist, in which whites were benevolent and had power and um, had money, and blacks were the working class who were in the background, but they were happy there. And so the only thing right. the help did was just bring the help that's normally in these films in the you know early uh, soon as films came out in the 1940s and 30s and, and 60s, and it, the help that was normally in the background that you know had one or two lines all of a sudden had four lines, but we really didn't know much about them. And at the end, the the title really said it: they were the help. And we've seen them before in the 1930s. All you did was move them to the front. And so yeah. even though the actresses and actors were excellent. I've seen this character, <laughs> I've seen it time and time again. And so, and that film was considered, I believe someone said, like it was a, um, a, a push forward in race relations. People actually tried to push that film as if this was sort of a new conversation on race. And, well, uh, and I the remember, fact yeah. That, and and it, it just interests me, and I thought, really? Because I've seen, you may not call her Mammy, but she's a mammy, and at the beginning, in the end of the day, mammy was a fictional character that was created to support slavery. And so it's just, it supports these films, supports um, whites in the subordinate, excuse me, blacks in the subordinate position. 
and not yeah, only so support them there, but they're comfortable there. Yeah, that's and the thing. You know, so that's that's the problem. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking of the second film. I actually actually like both of these films, but the second one, The Imitation of Life. And I know that you've seen that, at least. Yes. <laughs> the second one, I, and the first one, I think, is a great movie. And we could talk about that all night. But the thing, the second one, what you just said is like the... Uh, Juanita Moore's role in there. She's the helper of Lana Turner and all that, the white savior and all that who saves her. But at the end she dies, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden she has this grand funeral like she is yeah. the queen of New York City. And you say, the whole movie, her only friend is Lana Turner, you see, but actually she has this great life. And that was so weird to see that, that actually she had a complex life, but you didn't know it until the end of the movie. You know, and, and, and I think that's... Go ahead. Go right ahead. Oh, I think that's one of the problems is that in in the South and, and in some, some areas throughout the North, at a certain time, at a particular time in history, African-American women did dominate that profession of, of domestics. That is not a, that. So that isn't something that is false. That is a true story. This oh, yeah. happened, and because there were very few options. However, many of them women they held they held complex lives. They had husbands. They had children. They had family. They had um, a black uh, the black side of you know the, the other side of the tracks as they would say. And there's a community there, and it's and it's complex, and it has it has a story there. But we just don't see that. So it's not the fact that you show uh, African-American women historically in films as the help. That's not a problem. The problem is is that you minimize their lives. You minimize right. their roles in society. You minimize who they are, and you don't tell the full story. And that's, you know, that's what's totally, it continues to be missing in all films that deal with us. But we're going to yeah. uh, conclude the conversation here for now because I, I can talk to you all night about this, and I want to get <laughs> you back on. I have to get your book because I want to talk to you about your book because I, I you know, I want to get into the whole thing about minstrels and hip-hop because I see a lot of similarities in some videos and some performers that I saw when I look at old films and read old things about Dan Rice. Oh, yeah. You know, the creator. You know, it's, but that's another story there. But I want to ask you, what you know, getting back to Selma, what do you hope as far as, you kind of mentioned this, but what do you hope as far as with the listeners out there and the audiences, what do you want them to do as far as if they can demand anything or Hollywood or should they just demand more independent films? What what did you What would you say? Well, there are, there are many great independent films. So the first thing I would say to the listeners, if you have not seen Selma, is to see Selma. <laughs> to see it and to yeah. be uh, informed of what is taking place and support this film. And two, to the listeners, to not only see Selma, but read up the historical documents and start a conversation among your peers and your community about not, not just the film, but Selma and the civil rights movement. So take the time to... to let the movie open the door for you learning more about, you know, what's taking place. The second thing is we in, – in just supporting the film will actually tell Hollywood something because they look at dollars and cents, you know. Right. And so that That's will tell 
Hollywood something. But not only that, but we need to be more invested into the so many African-American um, directors and writers out there. And when it is, if it isn't released in a blockbuster, if it's released at a small in, independent theater, we should go and support those people and make sure that um, – that we recognize them and that we follow them and find out what films are coming out there because this film happened to, you know, get enough money eventually to be uh, released in this uh, large production, but so many great films are indie, truly indie films and only at one theater in, in this, you know, one area of town in every other city. Right. <laughs> and so I think that beyond see, seeing Selma and learning a little bit more about what took place there and, and um, throughout other cities in the civil rights movement, but also uh, supporting African-American directors, supporting African-American writers. And, and even if the budget is $10 million and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's at this one small theater, go and support it. Because that's how we get sort of recognition for these directors and these writers. And that's how we tell Hollywood that the black America does, or the black world, the black diaspora, does support um, African-American filmmakers, which is something they say we don't. And then... I wasn't going to bring this up, but when you said that, I have to bring this up. Does that include Tyler Perry? Oh, gosh. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. And, and, and <laughs> that is another conversation. I am I know, personally I know. We've had it on not before. a fan of Tyler Perry. I'm personally not a fan of Tyler Perry, I must say. But Tyler Perry does not have a problem with support. He has – he and somehow – he has been uh, given the power to make as many television shows and his films as he would like. Oh, yeah. And so I, I think that there is a particular audience that he aims towards and the particular audience that loves him, and they support him. So people do support Tyler Perry films, but there's so many other African-American filmmakers that we that we can't even name that are making these excellent films that we should also support and bring them out so then these filmmakers can also make films that are just as big as Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry shows one dimension of black life. Now we need films that show right. how multidimensional we are, how complex we are. And so I may not be a fan of him. However, he does serve a particular audience. So let's bring out other filmmakers that's going to serve the other complex world. And so we can present to the world how diverse we are, how complex we are, and have conversations that that normally are not had. So yeah, that's right, my yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Ty, you know, I admire Tyler I admire Tyler Perry for coming from being homeless to where he's come from to be in this uh, place he is now. But the films and his play I used to like his plays, but his films, you know, I, I agree with you as far as that. You know, I just that that is a whole different subject there. But Doctor Thompson, <laughs> I wanna thank you so yeah, it is something. I want to thank you so much for being on here today, and actually at short notice. And I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to call on you again probably next month during Black History Month. With although on this show is Black History Month is every month on the Root and Root Show, but I want to you know, get you back on here, and I'll just uh, email you about when we can do this to talk about the book because you know that might be a two-hour, three-hour conversation. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I, I've enjoyed this conversation. Well, thank you so much. You have a great day and uh, have a great, you know, you know. So many people say have a great Martin Luther King weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but Martin, as I always tell folks, you got to celebrate his day, you know, his life and the life of others who fought for, you yes. know, for for voting rights every day. 
Yes, yes. Yes, every day in life. So, again, thank you so much. I'll be talking to you very soon. Thanks a whole lot. Thank you, and have a good evening. You too. Take care. And, again, I enjoy talking with uh, Dr. Katrina D. Thompson. She's Associate Professor in the Department of History and African American Studies at St. Louis University. And I'll have her back on here because we're going to talk about her book, Ring Shout, Wheel About the Racial Politics of Music and Dance in North American Slavery. And that's going to be another fascinating topic, and I hope you enjoy this topic. And we're going to, I'm going to get some music on here now. I'm going to do a speech by Dr. King shortly, but I'm going to play this one. This is Seal Johnson. This is from the late 60s. And it fits into what we're talking about, what we've been talking about. This is a, is it because I'm black? So let's hear that on the Root and Root Show. Cause I'm black. Oh, 
Somebody tell me what can I do? Will I survive or will I die? Oh, oh, you keep on holding me back. Keep on holding on. Keep on picking on me. Oh, you keep on holding me back. Keep on holding on. Keep on. That they hold us, hold us, 
children, but that was children from Alabama, I think Selma actually, and they were being led by Reverend James Orange, who, if you've seen the movie Selma, he's mentioned in that he has a role in there. It's not big, but he's in there. At least you know the name. If you don't know anything about him, Google his name, you know, look at him, because he, he did a whole lot, one of the underrated civil rights leaders of of history, not just civil rights history, but history. And that was James Orange with some children in Alabama, and that's which way are, which side are you on, boy? And I thought I'd play that one. And before that, we did Seal Johnson, Is It Because I'm Black, on the Root and Root Show. And this is Greg Rashid, your host. And I was just happy again to have Dr. Katrina D. Thompson on to talk about the movie Selma and talk about black film, and we'll have her back on here again. But I'm going to do another song. And if you got, if you want to talk about the movie, you can call in at 424-675-8315. 424-675-8315. I'm play another song that's similar to the song, Is It Because I'm Black? And this is by The Temptations. This, and the stuff I play is stuff that you don't hear on your regular radio. It's like the speech I'm going to be doing later on by Dr. Martin Luther King, but we're going to play The Temptations' Message from a Black Man on the Root and Root Show.
Champ of the world before I'm old enough to do my first shaving commercial. And I'm going to make boxing popular again. Me with my beautiful, colorful personality. I'm going to make boxing interesting. Boxing doesn't have to be dull. It's the fighters who are dull. I watched the fight of the week on TV. They call that the fight of the week? It was so boring, every time the bell rang, it woke up the referee. <laughs> It hurts me to say this because I know a lot of fighters, and I like them. They are nice, gentle guys who wouldn't hurt anybody, not even in the rain. <laughs> and I'm going to bring back the excitement in boxing. I'm going to be the heavyweight champion of the world, and I won't be satisfied with that. After becoming champion of the world, I'm going to become champion of the universe. to take on those little green men from Venus. <laughs> those slick, shiny-headed green men. I can lick them. I won't be afraid of the way they look. After all, they can't look no worse than Sonny Lips. <laughs> yes, America, I'm the resurrector of the fight game. I'm going to save boxing. I'm going to bring boxing back to life. Fighting was dull until I came alone because the greatest wasn't around. But time brings about a change. As the earth rotates around the sun, a change takes place. There's spring, summer, fall, and winter. Boxing was at the winter stage. But now the flowers are blooming. Spring is coming. I am on the horizon. Listen's fall will mark the arrival of spring. Yes, there's going to be a new champion. A champion you can tell your kids to be like. I'm a perfect idol for the kids. I'm good looking, clean living, cultured, and I am modest. I am so modest I can admit my own fault. My only fault is I don't realize how great I really am. It's hard to be humble when you are as great as I am. I'm the new frontier of boxing, and boxing must move ahead. I'm going to win the championship with vigor. That's, that's part of my physical fitness program. All Sonny Lipson's got is a physical fatness program. And with my vigor, I'm going to ask Congress to help Mr. Liston. I will ask them to pass a health bill. Because after old Mr. Listen fights me, he's going to need Medicare. And if I hit him in the mouth, he's going to need Denticare. 
Yes, I'm going to move boxing ahead. I don't ask what boxing can do for me. I ask what I can do for boxing. Because I am great. I am the greatest. And I can even tell the truth about the future. To prove this point, I would like to read one of the many masterpieces I wrote this afternoon. <laughs> My Prophecies by Cassius Clay. When Cassius says a fight will go five rounds, the bell for the six just never sounds. When I tangled with Archie, I predicted four. And that's all there was. There wasn't any more. When they queried me about the coop about, I answered with Shakespearean thrill. When they asked me what round I knocked Henry out, I answered, Henry V. And that was, I couldn't help laughing at that, but that was, um, Muhammad Ali, when he was Cassius Clay, and that's from an album called I Am the Greatest, as he says on that. And today is the birthday of Muhammad Ali, January 17th, and I just want to wish him happy birthday. And that's, you know, I just, that album, you should pick it up. It's rare. It was produced by Sam Cooke. And Ali sings on there with Sam Cooke, uh, Stand By Me, sings that, some other songs. It's, it's, a, it's a funny album, and it's, you listen to it and you realize it's a precursor of hip hop of rap music, because he's rapping on it to music, and it's 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 really something. It's really a nice album. I am the greatest. Cassius Clay, now known as Muhammad Ali, and that was produced again by Sam Cooke. And if you go on YouTube, you actually see them practicing some songs on there. You can see both of them, and it's just amazing, amazing to see those two legends together like that. Just happy, just. You know, just just young and just just it's really something. So I just want to say happy birthday again to Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time, and not only as a boxer, just as a human being. It's amazing. And before that, we did the Temptations, message to a black man. And that's something you don't hear on, you won't hear on radio. You rarely will hear that, but you'll hear it on the Root and Root show. And if you got a request or you want to call in right now, it's four two four six seven five eight three one five. But right now, I'm going to play. Because Dr. Katrina Thompson talked about it earlier, and in the movie Selma, they can't use the speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King. So at the end, there is a speech when he gets, gets to Mon- you know, when he gets to the Pettus Bridge, he gets past and gets to Montgomery from Selma. Then he gives a speech, but this is a speech. This is a speech right now, so you can hear it in its entirety from Selma to Montgomery. So let's hear that on the Root and Root show. My dear and abiding friend, Ralph Abernathy, to all of the distinguished Americans seated here on the rostrum, my friends and co-workers of the state of Alabama, and to all of the freedom-loving people who have assembled here this afternoon from all over our nation and from all over the world. 
Last Sunday, more than 8,000 of us started on a mighty walk from Selma, Alabama. We have walked through desolate valleys and across a trying hill. We have walked on meandering highways and rested our bodies on rocky byways. Some of our faces are burned from the outpourings of the sweltering sun. Some have literally slept in the mud. We have been drenched by the rain. Our bodies are tired. Our feet are somewhat sore. But today, as I stand before you and think back over that great march, I can say, as Sister Pollock said, a 70-year-old Negro woman who lived in this community during the bus boycott, and one day she was asked while walking she didn't want to ride, and when she answered no, the person said, well, aren't you tired? With her ungrammatical profundity, she said, my feet is tired, but my soul is resting. That's right. And in a real sense this afternoon, we can say that our feet are tired, but our souls are resting. They told us we wouldn't get here. There were those who said that we would get here only over that dead body. Well, All the world today knows that we are here and we are standing before the forces of power in the state of Alabama saying we ain't going to let nobody turn us around. That's right. That's right. One of the great marches of American history should terminate in Montgomery, Alabama. Yes, sir. Just ten years ago in this very city, a new philosophy was born of the Negro struggle. Montgomery was the first city in the South in which the entire Negro community united and squarely faced its age-old oppressions. Yes, sir. Well, out of its struggle, more than bus segregation was won. A new idea, more powerful than guns or clubs, was born. Negroes took it and carried it across the South in epic battles yes, that electrified the nation well, and the world. Yet strangely, the climatic conflicts always were fought and won on Alabama soil. After Montgomery's heroic confrontations loomed up in 
Jackson, Mississippi, Arkansas, Georgia, and elsewhere. But not until the Colossus of Segregation was challenged in Birmingham did the conscience of America begin to bleed. White America was profoundly aroused by Birmingham because it witnessed a whole community of Negroes facing terror and brutality with majestic scorn and heroic courage. From the wells of its democratic spirit, the nation finally forced Congress to write legislation in the hope that it would eradicate the stain of Birmingham. Civil Rights Act of 1964 gave Negroes some part of their rightful dignity. But without the vote, it was dignity without strength. Once more, the method of nonviolent resistance was unsheathed from its scabbard, and once again, an entire community was mobilized to confront the adversary. Yes, sir. And again, the brutality of a dying order, order streaked across the land. Yet Selma, Alabama, became a shining moment in the conscience of man. If the worst in American life lurked in its dark streets, the best of American instincts arose passionately from across the nation to overcome it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There never was a moment in American history more honorable and more inspiring than the pilgrimage of clergymen and laymen of every race and faith pouring into Selma to face danger at the side of its inhabited Negroes. The confrontation of good and evil compressed in the tiny community of Selma, generated the massive power that turned the whole nation to a new course. A president born in the South had the sensitivity to feel the will of the country. And in an address that would live in history, as one of the most passionate pleas for human rights ever made by the president of our nation, he pledged the might of the federal government to cast off the centuries-old blight. President Johnson rightly praised the courage of the Negro for awakening the conscience of the nation. Yes, sir. On our part, we must pay our profound respect to the white Americans who cherish their democratic traditions over the ugly customs and privileges of generations come forth boldly to join hands with us. Yes, sir. From Montgomery to Birmingham. Yes, sir. From Birmingham to Selma. Yes, sir. From Selma back to Montgomery. Yes. The trail wound in a circle long and often bloody. Yet it has become a highway up from darkness. Yes, sir. Alabama has tried to nurture and defend evil, mm -hmm. but evil is choking to death 
in the dusty roads and streets of this state. Yes, so I stand before you this afternoon. There's a conviction that segregation is on its deathbed in Alabama, and the only thing uncertain about it is how costly the segregation is, and Wallace will make the funeral. Yes, Our whole campaign in Alabama has been centered around the right to vote. In focusing the attention of the nation and the world today on the flagrant denial of the right to vote, we are exposing the very origin, the root cause of racial segregation in the Southland. Racial segregation as a way of life did not come about as a natural result of hatred between the races immediately after the Civil War. There were no laws segregating the races then. As the noted historian Stephen Woodruff in his book, The Strange Career of Jim Crow, clearly points out, segregation of the races was really a political stratagem employed by the emerging bourbon interests in the South to keep the Southern masses divided and Southern labor the cheapest in the land. You see, it was a simple thing to keep the poor white masses working for mere starvation wages in the years that followed the Civil War. Why, if the poor white plantation, a meal worker became dissatisfied with his low wages, the plantation or meal owner would merely threaten to fire him and hire a farmer Negro slave and pay him even less. Thus, the southern wage level was kept almost unbearably low. Toward the end of the Reconstruction era, Something very significant happened. Listen to it. There developed what was known as the populist movement. The leaders of this movement began awakening the poor white masses. Yes, sir. The former Negro slaves. To the fact that they were being fleeced by the emerging bourbon interests. Not only that, they began uniting the Negro and white masses. Yeah into a voting block that threatened to drive the Berber interest from the command post of political power in the South. To meet this threat, the Southern aristocracy began immediately to engineer the development of a segregated society. I want you to follow me through here because this is very important to see the roots of racism and the denial of the right to vote. Through their control of mass media, they revived the doctrine of white supremacy. They saturated the thinking of the poor white masses with it, yes. thus clouding their minds to the real issues involved in the populist movement. They then, then directed the placement on the books of the South of law that made it a crime for Negroes and whites to come together as equals at any level. Yes, sir. And that did it. 
That crippled and eventually destroyed the populist movement of the 19th century. If it may be said of the slavery era that the white man took the world and gave the Negro Jesus, then it may be said of the Reconstruction era that the Southern aristocracy took the world and gave the poor white man Jim Crow. Yes, sir. He gave him Jim Crow. Uh -huh. And when his wrinkled stomach cried out for the food that his empty pockets could not provide, yes, sir. he ate Jim Crow, mm -hmm. a psychological bird that told him that no matter how bad off he was, at least he was a white man better than the black man. Yes, sir. And he ate Jim Crow. Uh -huh. And when his undernourished children cried out for the necessities that his low wages could not provide, he showed them the Jim Crow signs on the buses and in the stores, on the streets and in the public buildings. Yes, and his children, too, learn to feed upon Jim Crow as outpost of psychological oblivion. Yes, sir. Thus the threat of the free exercise of the ballot by the Negro and white masses alike resulted in the establishment of a segregated society. They segregated Southern money from the poor whites. They segregated Southern mores from the rich whites. They segregated southern churches from Christianity. Yes, sir. They segregated southern minds from honest thinking. Yes, sir. And they segregated the Negro from everything. That's what happened when the Negro and white masses of the South threatened to unite and build a great society. A society of justice where none would prey upon the weakness of others. Society of plenty where greed and poverty would be done away. A society of brotherhood where every man would respect the dignity and worth of human personality. Yes, sir. We've come a long way since that travesty of justice was perpetrated upon the American mind. James Weldon Johnson put it eloquently. He said, we have come over the way that with tears has been watered. We have come treading our path through the blood of the slaughter, yes, sir. out of the gloomy past. Yes, sir. Till now we stand at last where the white gleam of our bright star is cast. Yes, Today I want to tell the city of Selma. Tell them, doctor. Today I want to say to the state of Alabama. Yes, Today I want to say to the people of America and the nations of the world, we are not about to turn around. Yes, sir. We are on the move now. Yes, sir. Yes, we are on the move, and no wave of racism can stop us. Yes, sir. We are on the move now. Mm -hmm. The burning of our churches will not deter us. Yes, sir. The bombing of our homes will not dissuade us. Yes, sir. We are on the move now. Yes, sir. The feeding and killing of our clergymen and young people will not
to the realization of the American dream. Yes, Let us march on segregated housing yes, until every ghetto of social and economic depression yes, dissolve the Negroes and whites live side by side in decent, safe, and sanitary housing. Yes, Let us march on segregated schools until every vestige of segregated and inferior education becomes a thing of the past mm -hmm. and Negroes and whites study side by side mm -hmm. in the socially healing context of the classroom. Mm -hmm. Let us march on poverty Let us march. until no American parent mm -hmm. has to skip a meal so that their children may eat. Yes, sir. March on poverty Let us march. until no starved man walks the streets of our cities and towns yes, in such a job that do not exist. Yes, sir. Let us march on poverty Let us march. until wrinkled stomachs in Mississippi are filled yes, and the idle industries of Appalachia realize and revitalize and broken lives in sweltering ghettos are mended and remolded. Let us march on ballot boxes. Yes, march on ballot boxes until race beaters disappear mm -hmm. from the political arena. Mm -hmm. Let us march on ballot boxes mm -hmm. until the stadium misdeeds of bloodthirsty mob yes, sir. will be transformed into the calculated good deeds of orderly citizens. Let us march on ballot boxes until the Wallaces of our nation tremble away in silence. Let us march on ballot until we send to our city councils, state legislatures, and the United States Congress men who will not fear to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Let us march on ballot until brotherhood becomes more than a meaningless word in an opening prayer, but the order of the day on every legislative agenda. Let us march on ballot boxes until all over Alabama, God's children will be able to walk the earth in decency and honor. There is nothing wrong with marching in this sense. The Bible tells us that the mighty men of justice merely walked about the walled city of Jericho. Well, the barriers to freedom came tumbling down. Yes, sir. I like that old Negro spiritual. Yes, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Yes, in its simple yet colorful depiction, yes, that great moment in biblical history, it tells us that Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. The walls come tumbling down. That's Up to the walls of Jericho, yeah. they march with spear in hand. Go yes, blow them ram horns, Joshua cried. Yeah. Cost the battle, am in my hand. Yes, These words I have given you just as they were given us by the unknown, long dead, dark skinned originator. Yes, Some now long gone black bark bequeathed to posterity, these words in ungrammatical form, yes, sir. yet with emphatic pertinence yes, for all of us today. Uh -huh. The battle is in our hands. 
we can answer with creative nonviolence the call to higher ground to which the new directions of our struggle summons us. The road ahead is not altogether a smooth one. There are no broad highways that lead us easily and inevitably to quick solutions. We must keep going. In the glow of the lamplight on my desk a few nights ago, I gazed again upon the wondrous sign of our time, full of hope and promise of the future. And I smiled to see in the newspaper photographs of nearly a decade ago, the faces so bright, so solemn of our valiant hero, the people of Montgomery. To this list may be added the names of all those who have fought and, yes, died in the nonviolent army of our day. Medgar Evans, three civil rights workers in Mississippi last summer. William Moore, as has already been mentioned. The Reverend James Reed, Jimmy Lee Jackson, the four little girls in the Church of God in Birmingham on Sunday morning. In spite of this, we must go on and be sure that they did not die in vain. The pattern of their feet. They walked through Jim Crow barriers mm -hmm. and the great stride toward freedom. Mm -hmm. It's the thunder of the marching men of Joshua. Yes, and the world rocks beneath their tread. Yes, my people, my people, listen. Yes, the battle is in our hands. Yes, the battle is in our hands in Mississippi and Alabama and all over the United States. Yes, I know that is a cry today in Alabama. We see it in numerous editorials. When will Martin Luther King, SCLC, SNCC, and all of these civil rights agitators and all of the white clergymen and labor leaders and students and others get out of our community and let Alabama return to normalcy? I have a message that I would like to leave with Alabama this evening. That is exactly what we don't want, and we will not allow it to happen. Yes, sir. For we know that it was normalcy in Marion uh -huh. that led to the brutal murder of Jimmy Lee Jackson. Uh -huh. It was normalcy in Birmingham that led to the murder on Sunday morning of four beautiful, unoffending, innocent girls. It was normalcy on Highway 80. Yes, sir. It led state troopers to use tear gas and horses and billy clubs against unarmed human beings who were simply marching for justice. Yes, it was normalcy by a cafe in Selma, Alabama, that led to the brutal beating of Reverend, ja Reverend James Rare. Yes, it is normalcy all over our country, yes, sir. which leaves the Negro perishing on the lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. It is normalcy all over Alabama that prevents the Negro from becoming a registered voter. No, we will not allow Alabama to return to normalcy. Only normalcy that we will settle for is the normalcy that recognizes 
the dignity and worth of all of God's children. The only normalcy that we will settle for is a normalcy that allows judgment to run down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. The only normalcy that we will settle for is the normalcy of brotherhood, the normalcy of true peace, the normalcy of justice. And so as we go away this afternoon, let us go away more than ever before, committed to this struggle and committed to nonviolence. I must admit to you that there are still some difficult days ahead. We are still in for the season of suffering. In many of the Black Belt counties of Alabama, many areas of Mississippi, many areas of Louisiana, I must admit to you that there are still jail cells waiting for us dark and difficult moments. If we were born with the faith that nonviolence and its power can transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows, we will be able to change all of these conditions. And so I plead with you this afternoon as we go ahead to remain committed to nonviolence. Our aim must never be to defeat or humiliate the white man, but to win his friendship and understanding. We must come to see that the end we seek is a society at peace with itself, a society that can live with its conscience. That will be a day not of the white man, not of the black man. That will be the day of man as man. I know you're asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long will prejudice blind the visions of men, darken their understanding and drive bright-eyed wisdom from a sacred throne? Somebody's asking, when will wounded justice? Lying prostrate on the streets of Selma, Birmingham, and communities all over the South, be lifted from this dust of shame to reign supreme among the children of men. Somebody's asking, when will the radiant star of hope be plunged against the nocturnal bosom of this lonely night, plucked from weary souls with chains of fear and the manacles of death? How long will justice be crucified and truth buried? Yes, sir. I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, However frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth crushed to earth will rise again. How long? Not long. Because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long. Because you shall reap what you sow. How long? Not long. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. Behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. How long? Not long. Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How long? Not long. Because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the village where the grapes of wrath are stored. He's loosed the
lightning of his terrible swift sword, yes, his truth is marching on. Yes, sir. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. Yes, he is lifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Yes, oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. justice, 
change. It has nothing to do with dream or anything. It's reality. And I just hope that folks will go and look at the, on the Internet, go to an archive somewhere, um, at the library somewhere, and just listen to the, and read the speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King. And that just gets stuck on I Have a Dream. And just look at what he really was talking about, because it was about changing society, not just the U.S., but society in general. And there's still so much work, as you see with Ferguson and other things that's going on now, so much more work that has to be done. But, you know, I just hope that um, you have enjoyed the show this evening. We had Dr. Katrina D. Thompson on talking about the movie Selma and also about black films. She'll be back on and hope you enjoyed the speeches and the music. And I want to say hi again to my friends and those that are listening on KUHS, and it's delayed. This is live now, but it'll be taped when you hear this. KUHS Radio in Denver, Colorado. I want to thank my buddy Henry Archuleta for putting me on there. And I, by the time you hear this show, the Marade had already would have already taken place. And I hope you went out there. If not, but do something to honor Dr. King. Not only during this weekend, but every day. Try to do something to honor not only Dr. King, but the civil rights workers, the folks that fought for injustice, be it in the South, in the North, be it in the black community, the Latino community, you name it, the Asian community, the Native American community. It's still, you know, justice is still, we still have to fight. We still have to work on it. So I hope that you're doing something constantly agitate and agitate and organize. That's the thing. Just keep on doing that. And if you want to be part of this growing, growing community of folks who support the Blog Talk Radio Show, you can just go to Facebook and find me, Greg, G-R-E-G, last name Rashid, R-A-S-H-E-E-D. If you got any comments, you're interested in being part of this, if you want to support it with advertising, because we take advertising on this program, we'd love to have that because we want to grow this whole show. It's been on, we're going on a couple of years now, actually. It's amazing. And, we, you know, and I always take, take suggestions for guests. In fact, tonight Dr. Thompson was a suggestion from one of the folks that I know on Facebook, a professor on there who suggested that we get her on, and she was an excellent guest, as the professor said. So if you have any suggestions for music, guests, you name it, comments, Anything, go to Facebook. Also go to Twitter. If you do tweet, at Unifix, U-N-I-F as in Frank, I-C-S as in Sam, at Unifix on Twitter. And also you can go to blogtalkradio.com, and there is a comment line, a chat line. You can ask about the show and offer any support suggestions, Anything like that, be more than happy to have you do that because we are definitely growing here. And I wanted to say this little piece here that jazz speaks for life. The blues tells the story of life's difficulties. If you think for a moment, you will realize that they take the hardest realities of life and put them into music only to come out with some new hope or sense of triumph. This is triumphant music, and that's jazz. And that was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s words at the Berlin Jazz Festival. And I'm going to leave you today with um, hopefully a jazz piece. Uh, we're going to do John Coltrane along with Milt Jackson. And I'm going to play, I think we will do 
the Blues Legacy. And this is a nice, nice piece here. And it'll get us out of here on the Root and Root Show. But we'll be seeing you next Friday evening, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and then Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and on KUHSN Denver, Colorado, on Denver Radio TV. And I think it comes on at 8 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. your time out there in Denver and Colorado. So check the listings, but and it'll be you know we're on what Friday, Saturday, and Wednesdays on KUHS. And again, Henry Archuleta is doing a great job out there. Really support what he's doing. He's trying to bring radio to a new level out there in Colorado, expanding the globe. So that's great. But we're gonna get out of here with John Coltrane. And Milt Jackson, we're going to do the Blues Legacy. And again, this is Greg Rasheed. Going love and going peace, and we'll see you next week on the Root and Root Show. Thank you.